The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy, a media producer. I run a website called youthrivehere.com, and I'm here with the famous Raymond Anderson. Senior Minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing well. And yourself, Jim? I'm doing good. So you are famous. You're world famous. Um, you may not know that or not, but uh, I, I have it on great authority that uh, you are very famous on the interwebs. Oh, I, think, I don't know what that is, but okay. <laughs> I appreciate that information, <laughs> and I accept. <laughs> Well, I think we should get started with uh, our usual music inspirations. What do you think? Sounds good to me. You going first? I will go first. Ready? Yes, I can name that tune in three notes. I bet you can. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me So darling, darling, stand by me, oh, stand by me, oh, stand. Name that tune. Um, could that be Stand By Me? (laughs) Who's the the singer? Oh, you would ask me that. I don't remember. (laughs) Ben E. King. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, how could I forget that? <laughs> classic, classic. You know, I, I love that song. I love that song. I like the John Lennon version of it, too. But I think I always come back to the uh, Benny King version. It's, it's, the, it's very heartfelt, you know? I don't know that I've ever heard John Lennon's version. Oh, yeah, he does a very nice version of it. Oh, I will have to investigate that now. I think you shall. I think you shall. 
Um, I think it's also appropriate for our conversation with uh, Tracy Brown a little bit later. It's about uh, Tracy is the author of Stained Glass Spirit, Becoming a Spiritual Community Where Oneness Does Not Require Sameness. And, you know, I think Stand By Me is about standing with each other. Yeah, very much so. What it, what it means to be in oneness when you're standing together. Yep, I think uh, even though we're different, you know, mm -hmm. I think uh, obviously it's important. Yes, I agree. I agree. All right, so, what you got for me? You ready? I am ready. And... That was you singing, I'm pretty sure. Yes, me and Barbara Streisand, we were doing a duet. I'm shocked that you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not Barbara Streisand. <laughs> no, it's my other buddy, Bette Midler. <laughs> Your buddy Bette Midler. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You know, I uh, I remember when she did a version. It, it was this, this was about the original Iraq war, is that right? Oh, dear, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Well, neither do I, so let's just forget about that. <laughs> but um, it's a great song. I love that song. Yes. Have you ever heard her Christmas version of it? I did. I love that. Yeah, and she interweaves the Hawaiian in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got to challenge ourselves up a little bit. I've got to, you know, when one of us plays a song, we should say, I hate that song. Oh, okay. Just because, you know, just for some variety, because... You know, we, we can't love every song that we put out there, can we? I hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Let's get some hate into this love show, right? Uh, we could do our own version of The Voice. The Voice. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> um, let's, uh, do you have an inspiration today? No, today I do not. I'm going to let you double up. Well, I'm just going to single up, oh, and uh, okay. I've, got, uh, I've got one, so here we go. Okay. As I ask for loving companions on my journey, I'm led heart to heart and hand to hand to a friendlier world. As I extend my heart and my hand, the world meets me with open arms. As I reach for my wisdom and my compassion to aid others, others respond to me in kind. I am not alone. And who take, is that? Take a guess. Uh, <laughs> put you on the spot. No, put me on the spot. I'm going to say Myrtle Fillmore. Could be, but no, actually, it's Julia Cameron in her book, uh, Prayers to a Great Creator. 
Okay, cool. But I, changed my mind. I do have one. Okay, go ahead. One for all and all for one. What's that from? Uh, I think it's a movie about some swordmen. Pirates, right? Were they pirates? Yes. <laughs> Three Musketeers. Come on, man. See, well, four was, Musketeers. See, I was gonna say that I won everything now, but you already pulled some. You pulled a quote out of the hat, so I don't know. Well, yours inspired that, though. Well, there you go. Then, then this was an inspiring moment for for uh, Raymond Anderson. Yes, you know, it reminds me since we both love Star Trek, your quote and the. Uh, Three Musketeers reminds me of that line from Star Trek, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Wow, that's, I love when you quote Star Trek. Or the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. It's like, hmm, paradox. We live in the paradox. Yes. It's a maze of interesting stuff. So I've challenged Ed Biagioti with something. I wanted to see what his concept of, or his experience of the I am is. And I, we'll play that in just a second. But, you know, what do you consider the experience of the I am? I mean, what does that mean to you? Does that relate to what we're talking about with Tracy? I think it does. I think there are there are levels of what it means to experience it just like when someone is cooking or when someone is listening to a piece of music there are layers so you might start off with the beat and your toe starts tapping and then there's the rhythm and you might start swaying and then there's the moment where you start singing but you don't sing the entire song in one breath or one note so you experience it as a continuum so I think experiencing this thing we call God or the I am or Christ consciousness is very similar, that we experience it in the arc of or the spiral of our life experience, not trying to make it a, uh, a microwave spirituality where you pop it in 10 seconds later, boom, you're enlightened. Yeah. So I think it's the entire experience, but experiencing it knowing that it's music or knowing that it's a meal or knowing that it's the numinous and it's God. Awesome. I love that. I love that. What is, uh, to you, what does oneness mean as compared to uh, sameness? I mean, I know we're going to talk to Tracy about it, but <laughs> what's your take on it? So sameness is, I'm going to start with that. It's the requirement that or the idea or the ideology that we're all supposed to be like everyone else. So it's the America is a melting pot. Put everything in, then it all dissolves and becomes one whatever. And we already know that there's no stew or salad or whatever that we want the whole thing to taste the same. So we want it to be one salad or one country or one planet but we know that we want the diversity of each individual flavor. You know, if I bite into a carrot, I don't want the carrot to taste like corn. I want the carrot to taste like a carrot. That's why I put carrot in the salad in the first place. So it's the same kind of thing. So oneness is recognizing we're one community, 
one species, one planet, but within that, there it's the exception, the accepting of, the allowing of, the recognition of the various flavors that make up the meal. Awesome. Let's go to Ed and see what he says about I am. Yes. And it's time to welcome back Ed Biagiotti. How you doing, Ed? Oh my goodness, couldn't be better. How are you? I'm doing great. So the topic of the day is I am. What does that mean to you? I am. Great question, man. I was pondering that several times throughout today. And the first thing that came to my mind was the fact that when we practice or when I practice meditation and prayer in the morning, taking time to get still, get connected with my inspiration that um, I always get a, a much more, a much broader sense of who I am, where, see, when I first wake up, I'll have a moment of just like, yes, I'm, everything's great. And then by the time my feet hit the floor, before I sit down on the sofa to do meditation and such, all manner of sort of chatter and worry and stuff could, can start up. So as I sit and I meditate and read some, uh, inspired books like uh you know i read a daily reader by emmett fox one by alan Cohn, one by ernest holmes i read the daily word they start that stuff starts to open me up to a broader sense again of who i am a more expansive sense of who i am a more limitless sense of who i am and then so that i don't necessarily walk out of that meditation and the and that that prayer and that reading time and think for the rest of the day i'm attached to this broader sense of who i am but at least for that time, I touch that sense of who I am. And then as I go about my day, like right now, I'm in the midst of teaching a summer school program. And we just recently, and my, my students in special education, uh, ranging from one kid's about to be five years old. This is like his first week ever of being in school, being away from his mother for longer than, you know, five hours is the longest he's ever been away from his mother. Then I have other kids going into fourth grade. And uh, so it's a wide range, you know. And um, so one little kid, you know, decided to, it, he likes to turn all the lights on and off. And I had asked another student to do that. And so the student who normally turns off the lights decided to chomp on the other guy's elbow. He didn't really break the skin, but it was enough to scare. The, the kid that got bit was the new kid who has only been in school for a week. So, you know, my mind starts to feel like I did something wrong, you know, and I heard that the, the, the program specialist, no, the, the who's in charge of the program, the summer school program wanted to chat with me. So all of a sudden, all this like small sense of who I am, I'm, I did something wrong, you know, like guilt, or, that started to kind of go through my mind. But because now I, I know I spend enough time with this broader sense of who I am, you know, I just cast all that off. I said, this feels so, these, those thoughts are so limiting and feel so bad. So I just marched straight up to the person I needed to talk to. We had a great discussion about, um, you know, how to remedy the situation, what we could do. I had a lot of insights to share. And uh, so practicing getting in touch with that broader sense of who I am helps me, you know, to throw away when maybe fear, doubt, or worry starts to come into my, my mind at least I have a recent memory, a recent connection with this broader sense of who I am, this broader sense of God, which, you know, we read about and talk about a lot. So um, 
so that was one one reflection I had on um, the value of sort of reflecting on who I am and getting touch with the broader sense of who I am every morning. Why do you think that's important to develop a sense of I am? I think because until you have your own, until I have my own sense of who I am, like you can, I can read about it all, all, but there's something, I mean, it literally, when I get a, say I'm having a challenging day or period where things are going on that are, you know, challenging, disturbing my peace. If I sit down and get back in touch with who I am, I swear, I just feel like the world comes off my shoulders. I feel enthusiastic about life again. My friend Daryl Pizarro, who I did Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed, uh, our podcast, which is still available on iTunes, and we have a Funniest Thing fan page on, um, on Facebook. We always talk about how grateful we are for these books because these books and these simple practices that just help us get back in touch with who we are. Because like I said, there's one thing to talk about it. And I very rarely get into discussions with people if it turns into a debate. I like to talk to other people who are who, uh, who practice getting in touch with who they are, because then it becomes this like glorious exchange where we both get excited and we both remind each other of who we are. And uh, so there's no substitute for having a personal relationship with that. Awesome, Ed. Thank you so much. Where can people reach you? Um, Crazy Eddie Loves You on Instagram. So it's crazy and then Eddie, E-D-D-Y, loves you. Crazy Eddie Loves You on Instagram is a great place. Or go to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed fan page on um, what's called Facebook. Or just go to DarylandEd.com, which is D-A-R-R-E-L-L and Ed.com. There's a lot of great episodes of our podcast there's meditations there's just a lot of it's all free um by the way so uh enjoy it thanks ed we'll talk to you again soon uh always a pleasure thank you for having me our guest today is tracy brown author of stained glass spirit becoming a spiritual community where oneness does not require sameness and from what i understand she's the author of many many books is that 12 books is that right um, I think it's a little more than that now, but a bunch of books. Wow. Do you do, you're always busy. I am always busy. I'm not always busy writing, but I am always busy and I like <laughs> it that way. <laughs> awesome. So Tracy is a nationally recognized expert and author focusing on leadership development, diversity strategy, and employee engagement. Her company, International Inclusion, I'm sorry, Intentional Inclusion, Inc., has provi provided training to more than 400,000 people, and she's been recognized twice for innovation and diversity by the Cele Celebrate, I'm having trouble, by the Celebrate Diversity Awards sponsored by Ernst & Young. She co-founded Dallas Dinner Table, healing race relations one dinner at a time amongst many many other adventures she's also she's also serving as the chair of the governing body for centers for spiritual living worldwide welcome to big universe tracy i am so yeah. delighted to hang out with the two of you today well we're, we're really excited that you're able to join us here sure um, now let me i, I just want to start off uh, your book is called stained glass um spirit and what does that represent to you you in the subtitle you call it oneness doesn't require sameness that seems really really important because sometimes it's confused tell me about that 
Yeah, so two parts of that. One, Stained Glass Spirit, the title, um, I started a brand called Stained Glass Spirit about seven years ago, eight years ago. And the idea is that, you know, when we look at a stained glass window, it has all different colors and it has, you know, the glass pieces are different sizes and shapes and sometimes textures, but they're all held together by this letting that brings them together. And when the sun shines through, it's like amazing. And what if we thought of our communities as bringing all different kinds of people together, didn't have to look alike, be alike, but they were all held together by spirit and by our commitment to spirit and by our expression of spirit. And then whenever anything is happening, when it's all working together, our communities would have that same effect that you get when you look at a stained glass window. So stained glass spirit is all about creating spiritual communities where there are many different kinds of people who are joined together. And it's intentional that there are many different kinds of people. <clears throat> and then the subtitle of the book, Becoming a Spiritual Community Where Oneness Does Not Require Sameness, that really evolved because I was surprised at how many people it's in New Thought Spirituality were equating oneness with we're all the same. Uh-huh, yeah. And we're not, right? Diversity is a divine idea, which is the first section of the book, that just like spirit, God, the universe, whatever higher power name you want to use, it has created everything. We don't think all the flowers should be the same. We mm -hmm. don't think every tree should be the same. They're in a category called tree, but an oak tree is very different from a bonsai tree, and a bonsai tree is very different from a pine tree. We don't have any trouble with that, with plants, flowers, animals, any galaxies, planets. I mean, but we have a problem with that when it comes to people. So that's what I want to help us get beyond. So the question, because the way you address diversity, you know, because that's a big buzzword for pretty much everybody right now, but it seems like, especially in our spiritual communities, we talk about creating diversity, and that's not the direction that you encourage people to go in. So can you expand upon that for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, like, really? How arrogant is that? We're going to create diversity. Spirit has already created everything, and diversity is a part of that design. So I often use the example in business organizations. If I walk into a company and they have 100 employees and all of the employees are white and male, there is still diversity there because they will have different experiences growing up. They were born and raised in different places. They may speak different languages. Absolutely, we're gonna have different age groups. Most likely we're gonna have people from different religious backgrounds. We have, if it's a company and it's 100 people, you can bet there's diversity in skill and profession, right? Because otherwise you'd have 100 people all doing the same job the same way <laughs> and you wouldn't have a company. So in our spiritual communities, it's the same way, that people are coming from all different backgrounds and diversity is about much more than 
race, although race and ethnicity are key to deal with and to be aware of, but they are not the only elements that define diversity. And so, yeah, we don't create it. And our goal isn't to create it. Our goal is to tap into and to recognize and to value all of the different elements that are in our communities. And then being inclusive means finding a way to use all of that diversity toward the goal, which is learning how to apply spiritual principle or living lives that reflect spiritual foundations and truth. So if that's our goal, we, and we want to be inclusive in doing that, we cannot ignore the impact of culture or language or ability or disability or age or any of those things. Thank you. Interesting. So when you talk, you know, I, we have a lot of difficulty, it appears, in our spiritual community, even in the new thought community where we consider ourselves to be very open, but, you know, that openness is still coming through a lens that is uh, not necessarily as diverse. And I think that, you know, a lot of people come to New Thought as sort of an oasis, but they also forget that one way is not, not the only way, you know, one way to do things is not the only way. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Uh, you're so on target. And it can be really frustrating. Um, when we look at New Thought, especially if we look just for a few minutes, if we look through the lens of New Thought in the United States, or maybe U.S. and Canada, we are looking at New Thought being offered and being taught from a lens that is a primarily white male lens and white female presentation. Mm -hmm. And that there's nothing bad about that. But mm -hmm. I love the way you phrased that, Jim. It's like, you know, we're blind to the ways that we do things that may be uncomfortable or off-putting for people who are not white or people who have not been um, raised in the tradition of new thought. So the principle, what we teach is universal, but how we teach it and how we apply it is, a, is, um, is not universal. And it needs to be broader. So that can range from, I, I do a, a, a piece that is around message and music and membership and right art we have to really look at our message and are we using examples and stories that cross cultural boundaries or is every story about my own personal experience that may or may not relate to 30 percent of the people who are coming in we'll be right back on big universe Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. 
We're back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio with Jim and Raymond. We're talking with Tracy Brown, author of Stained Glass Spirit, Becoming a Spiritual Community Where Oneness Does Not Require Sameness. I have to look at the music. Am I varying the music so that people with different experiences or who are inspired by different types of music feel like, oh, yeah, I'm recognized here, I'm supported here. And, um, and that we can't have judgment about that. It can be as simple as, do you have a community where someone who is inspired can feel comfortable standing up where they are and dancing, or simply standing up and raising their hands? Or is that perceived as, oh, what are they doing here? They need to go find a Pentecostal church. Or they need <laughs> yeah. Right? Or the music changes and, you know, and you have 40 people coming up to the minister after service and saying, you know, I really prefer it when we sing the songs we usually sing. And, you know, that, that soloist today, does, doesn't she realize this isn't a black church? because she's playing a gospel song, right? Or Interesting, yeah. So we really are challenged still, and, and that is part of the recognizing oneness does not require sameness. If we truly, uh, the way I think about it at least, is the more variety in people I can expose myself to, the more faces of God I am seeing, meeting, learning about, and incorporating into my experience. So in education, the very first line says, this book is dedicated to the individuals who understand the life of the one can only be fully known through the lives of each other. Based on what you just said and based on that line, it sounds like one of the things you're discussing or, or introducing is the idea of relationship as spiritual practice. Really? <laughs> Well, yeah, it is. Um, I've in some classes talked about when I'm teaching spiritual practices, I, of course, talk about we have receptive spiritual practices, we have directive spiritual practices, and we have relational spiritual practices. And, you know, really coming together for a class or coming together, especially for a Sunday celebration or a worship service of any kind is a relational spiritual practice. It's something we do in relationship with others to explore the spiritual experience. But simply having relationships, Ray, I think you're right that if I've truly considered all the relationships I'm in, as a way for me to practice my spiritual beliefs and principles, I think a lot of this would change on its own. Now, I can't guarantee that, but I think that I'm is- I'm looking for guarantees. I want, <laughs> I, want, I, I want my money back if I don't get guaranteed. <laughs> well, we're all three laughing, but I have to say that just two days ago, I was in a conversation with a group of people and someone actually said, well, just tell me what to do and we'll turn that dial and it'll be fine. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that, no, that's not gonna, that's not the way it happens. That's not how we build culture. 
So how do we think we can change culture by just turning a dial and doing one or two things differently? It's incremental. And no matter what we know today, there's always more to learn. So right. Right, I mean, it's a journey. It's not a destination. And part of what, you, what I'm hearing you say is if we're actually thinking about the, the complete ways in which spirit shows up as diversity, there is no one dial that can be turned that's going to be applicable to all. So turning the dial on, say, people of color, is that going to apply to um, gender? Is gender going to apply to religion? Is religion going to apply to politics? So what I hear you saying is there is no one dial. Yeah, if, if someone were to really push me, I would say, and, and you know, there has to be one dial, then the one dial would be the dial that I turn within to keep my heart open and to be willing to always see what else could be true. Like one of my favorite questions is what else could be true? When I hear myself making up a story about why someone did or said a certain thing, or they do something, and I notice it's a pattern, like, for example, let's say that I notice that there's a pattern over time with people I interact with who identify as lesbian. And so I notice there's this pattern and I make up a story about it. Nobody has ever told me, but I think, oh, so now I think all lesbians behave a certain way or do a certain thing. <laughs> right. And in my mind, that's, you know, maybe I've seen that with 30 people. So I think that's it. But I have to be, if there's one dial, the one dial within me has to say, well, that's what I'm thinking, but what else could be true? Well, let me ask you about that a little bit. That, you know, I, I, yeah, when I look at myself and my behavior, you talked about earlier, you know, you're going into church and, or a, a service or some sort of thing. And, you know, I, I observe myself saying, you know, sitting in there and I go to Raymond's organization, uh, Center for Spiritual Living, Greater Baltimore. That's a plug for you, Raymond. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I go in there and somebody, you know, we're in a service and somebody, no names, but somebody steps up and says something in the middle of the service or, or talks back to the minister or, you know, and, you know, for me, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, why is that person doing that? You know, this doesn't, why are you repeating back to the, what? You know, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed about that to some extent because the part of my mind is saying, okay, just be, be accepting of people's different behaviors. But then there's a part of me that says, I don't like that. Stop it. Like, <laughs> Stop that's it. not the way you're supposed to act in church. Right. right? Which is ridiculous, I know. But how do, how do you address that within you? So, you know, I love that example for lots of lots and lots of reasons. So one thing to keep in mind mentally is, wow, if that person were to come to the environment I'm used to, they would feel the same discomfort because it would be clear that they should sit still and not express themselves or do call and response. So it's, I think it's okay for me to feel a little uncomfortable in their environment 
because if they came to my church service, they would be a little uncomfortable. And it's all temporary. So that's one. The second follow-up immediate to that in the mind is, wow, and that's what it means to have different experiences that we have to go through a little discomfort before we become comfortable with a different way. And so the, the individual work becomes, I don't judge or fix them. I open myself to a different experience and expand myself. Now, obviously, we're not talking about or referring to things that might be illegal or dangerous from a safety perspective. We're having this conversation in the context of how do we adjust when we're interacting or engaging with people who have different needs, wants, or ways of expressing that are really equally valid to my own comfort. And so it is, it is that I'm glad you asked about what do I do because it's the internal work. And most of the time, the reason it doesn't, we, the reason we have challenges is because we are so busy judging the other person because I'm uncomfortable that I don't realize, oh, I'm supposed to be uncomfortable. I'm expanding. Hmm. So, you know, people are, we're accustomed to cooking being messy and art being messy. But one of the things you mentioned in the book is multicultural is sometimes messy, which I'm like, oh, ha, 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 yes. Can you talk about that? Why, why is it sometimes messy? For the reasons that Jim just described, it's messy when I don't, I, I'm not used to a certain way of expressing. I'm not accustomed to behavior patterns that someone else is very comfortable with. And our tendency, because we don't grow up, most of us learning how to do that, how to become comfortable, our tendency is to either push the other away or to just retreat to more and more people that allow me to stay the same. It's also sometimes messy because we don't want to make a mistake. We want to be right. And I just get frustrated now um, on the inside when people are still saying to me what they were saying 30 years ago. Well, Tracy, just tell me what to say because I don't want to offend someone. The goal is not to not offend. I mean, okay, you don't set a goal to go and offend people. But if all I'm focused on is, I just want to not offend someone, I, I just, so I won't say anything, then your, your real goal should be, I want to build a relationship with these, with different people. That means I might make some mistakes, but my skill building is how do I build the bridge or how do I recover if I do offend someone unintentionally? Hmm. And if I have the skill to have that kind of conversation, oh, um, you know, oh, um, I don't see color. And someone who's a person of color says, you know, you really might not want to say that again. Instead of being defensive or instead of saying, but I didn't mean anything. I didn't intend say, tell me more, why should I not say that again? So that then I learned there actually is a reason. 
And if I want to build relationships with people of color, then I want to respect that that phrase has a negative impact. And there are examples of that with every type of factor of diversity, sexual orientation, gender identity, transgender, uh, people with disabilities, age. I just spent five, four days with young adults between the ages of 20 and 37-ish. And um, yeah, there were a couple of times where I was like, okay, explain that to me. Because uh -huh. I have no clue. It's been a long time since I was 25. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So multicultural is sometimes messy, and that's part of our growth. And there's nothing to be afraid of about that. So that dial that you mentioned when you said if it could be boiled down to one dial, and that was, you know, go within, what suggestions do you offer folks for uncovering their implicit biases and even like knowing what that is. So yeah, the, it really starts with people recognizing that all of us have biases, all of us, everyone. You cannot, when people say, I don't have a prejudice bone in my body, I'm like, okay, you have no self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, and I won't mm -hmm. necessarily say it exactly like that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> You're being sensitive to. Is that relationship building. Right. Exactly. And clearly they have no self-awareness. Right. And so it's like, how do I help make them or help them lead them to some self-awareness? But, or, you know, or, you know, I don't have biases. No, we all have biases. We all have biases. That's the way our brain works. Mm -hmm. So um, I think really for most, many people, it's still helping them grapple with they're learning growing up that, you know, they think we're a melting pot, which, and that's a good thing. Or they think it's good to be colorblind. Mm -hmm. Or they think that you just don't talk about it. And we'll just pray that we all get along and prayer solves everything. So um, I just try to help people be willing, especially in our spiritual communities, to see the face of God in everyone and to treat everyone as if they are God approaching them or working with them and to move away from judgment. Thank you. So you mentioned in your book, five ways to prepare your spiritual community for inclusion. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I'd be happy to talk about that a little bit. Um, if I can find it in the book. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, so I'll highlight a couple of them without even trying to find them in the book. So the, one of the ones that comes up the most that I find myself working with people a lot around, it really kind of goes back to music and message in that one of the ways to prepare people is you've got to talk about it. You've got to talk about diversity from the platform or from the teacher point of view in different classes, not as a problem, but as a reality, as a, as a physical reality, as a reality in the manifest world that diversity exists and that, and give examples of when it turns from diversity into inclusion. And so when you're talking about it on a regular basis, it prepares the entire community 
because they start hearing it and they start recognizing it's something you can talk about instead of we only talk about this when there's a problem and we have to fix it because you know these groups aren't getting along or another black man got shot and that's when we talk about it no you have to one thing you do is you talk about it all the time and especially when you can give examples of it in a proactive way Another thing that um, you can do to prepare your communities is you can create some expectations and standards. So when you are creating teams or when there are ministry teams or activities, you know, when you really talk about the expectation that our community or the way we serve the community, the neighborhoods we're in, are intentionally inclusive, and you give examples, that really makes a big, big difference. Um, and the leadership, not just the minister, right? The, if they're staff, if they're team leaders, all of them have to be on the same page. Your board of directors, it's like you wanna grow to that point. Another thing you can do to prepare the community is, you know, again, by what you choose to do. So if your church has an annual book study, be intentional about our books of the month throughout the year. Be intentional about what you choose because you're choosing and sending a message about spiritual principle and you can do that very easily and also present uh, more exposure to diversity and inclusion by choosing authors of color or authors from different age groups by choosing subject matter and then having the discussion come back to how do we build spiritual principle into this. So there are things, there are concrete things that a leader in a spiritual community can do that prepares people without just giving them lectures about diversity or inclusion. So the, the one thing, can I bring, can, do I have time to bring up one thing that I yes. think is really a big topic? And that is the uh, section in the book that I keep getting lots of feedback about, which is the idea of, um, are we listening with political or spiritual ears? Mm. Because it seems, especially in the last uh, five years, five to seven years, more and more uh, in the US especially, really politics and our political affiliation has replaced for many people their commitment in previous generations to religion and religious affiliation, right? When all the data tells us fewer and fewer people find themselves affiliated with a church or a spiritual community. And so it gets really confusing with, for people when you talk about something that is an issue in our real life and they are like, I didn't come to church for you to talk politics from the platform. Mm -hmm. Or, you right. know, I'm gonna, stop, I'm gonna take my tithes away and go somewhere else because you keep talking politics from the platform. Mm -hmm. When in reality, if our ministers are not talking about how do you use your spirit, these spiritual principles to navigate a world where there is so much hatred and violence, then who is gonna talk about that? Amen. So there is a 
distinction between telling people who to vote for or what party to be in or any of that, that's, that's political. But to say, um, you know, there's another mass murder and a young man has gone into a school and shot people and people have died. And then talking about spiritual principles of love or unity or harmony or wholeness and how do we bring that forward in times like this, that is a spiritual message. And so the political divide as elements of diversity are a really big thing right now. And I really hope that in, in this book and just in other conversations that more and more of our spiritual leaders, ministers, practitioners, licensed unity teachers, chaplains, board members, and staff, that that more and more people in those categories can go deep, go beneath the surface and really tease out, oh, our job here is to help lead people to ways they can use their spiritual, these spiritual principles that we teach in real life situations. So, um, you know, one of the themes that uh, New Thought churches have had, uh, I think it's CSL particularly said, a world that works for everyone. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, so tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about that. How, how do we, how do we in, endeavor to get to that position? Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny, I smile when you say that because so often what I hear people interpreting that to mean is, a world that works for everyone means everybody gets to do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, and then their world works for them. And all that does is reflect a, an individual-centric worldview that we are somewhat plagued with right uh, now, culturally, where we think everything is about us as an individual. A world that works for everyone is the vision for Centers for Spiritual Living. And uh, I've spent a fair amount of time in unity as well. And, you know, there are some parallel messages and goals. And it's all about creating an, a world where people are able to be valued, to move toward um, not only self-sufficiency, <clears throat> but being a beneficial presence in the world and to have their basic needs met. And to create a world where that is available to everyone. So what that would look like in Egypt might be different than what it would look like in Mexico City and might be different than what it would look like in the Ukraine. Because I locally, individually and locally, culturally, I'm going to define in this society, what does it mean to have a life that works? And so, um, so a world that works for everyone means we are doing things and making choices that not only are individual looking like at our own navel, but don't harm others intentionally or unintentionally if we're seeking out that input. And it's not easy. And the other final thing that comes to mind that I always try to remember to say when I'm talking about that kind of vision 
It is a vision statement. A vision statement, which means we're being constantly pulled toward that vision, but we may or may not ever see it. It's an, a vision statement is an ideal that gives us the direction in which to go. And we can't always define it in specific concrete terms, like a list of 10 things. It's directional. So I, I do, a world that works for everyone is, is high value that many of us in New Thought actually think is important. And no, we don't have any idea specifically how to get there. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Right, right. It's, it's, you know, it's like saying, I want heaven on earth. Right. But I don't know exactly what to do except to constantly be guided by spiritual principle to create these spiritual qualities and attributes in my life and in the world around me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Uh, you can find out more about Tracy Brown at tracybrown.com, and you can certainly purchase her books on Amazon and many other places. Um, for more information on Raymont, go to raymontanderson.com. And I've got upcoming video courses from a variety of amazing instructors talking spirituality, creativity, and motivation on my website called youthrivehere.com. I hope you'll join us there, won't you? Thanks, everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. So, darling, darling, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Oh, stand. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.